Our scripture lesson this night comes from the book of Joshua, chapter 18. Joshua, chapter 18. Hear now the word of our God. Then the whole congregation of the people of Israel assembled at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there. The land lay subdued before them. There remained among the people of Israel seven tribes whose inheritance had not yet been apportioned. So Joshua said to the people of Israel, How long will you put off going in to take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you? Provide three men from each tribe, and I will send them out, that they may set out and go up and down the land. They shall write a description of it with a view to their inheritances, and then come to me. They shall divide it into seven portions. Judah shall continue in his territory on the south, and the house of Joseph shall continue in their territory on the north. And you shall describe the land in seven divisions and bring the description here to me. And I will cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. The Levites have no portion among you, for the priesthood of the Lord is their heritage. And Gad and Reuben and half the tribe of Manasseh have received their inheritance beyond the Jordan eastward, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them. So the men arose and went, and Joshua charged those who went to write the description of the land, saying, Go up and down in the land, and write a description, and return to me, and I will cast lots for you here before the Lord in Shiloh. So the men went and passed up and down in the land, and wrote in a book the description of it by towns in seven divisions. Then they came to Joshua to the camp at Shiloh, and Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord. And there Joshua apportioned the land to the people of Israel, to each his portion. The lot of the tribe of the people of Benjamin, according to its clans, came up, and the territory allotted to it fell between the people of Judah and the people of Joseph. On the north side, their boundary began at the Jordan, then the boundary goes up to the shoulder north of Jericho, then up through the hill country westward, and it ends at the wilderness of Beth Aven. From there, the boundary passes along southward in the direction of Luz, to the shoulder of Luz, that is, Bethel. Then the boundary goes down to Ataroth Adar on the mountain that lies south of Lower Beit Horon. Then the boundary goes in another direction, turning on the western side southward from the mountain that lies to the south, opposite Beit Horon, and it ends at Kiriath Baal, that is, Kiriath Jearim, a city belonging to the people of Judah. This forms the western side. And the southern side begins at the outskirts of Kiriath Jearim, and the boundary goes from there to Ephron, to the spring of the waters of Nephtoah. Then the boundary goes down to the border of the mountain that overlooks the valley of the son of Hinnom, which is at the north end of the valley of Rephaim. And it goes then down the valley of Hinnom, south of the shoulder of the Jebusites, and downward to Enrogel. Then it bends in a northerly direction, going on to En Shemesh, and from there goes to Galiloth, which is opposite the ascent of Adumim. Then it goes down to the stone of Bohan, the son of Reuben, and passing on to the north of the shoulder of Beit Arabah, it goes down to the Arabah. Then the boundary passes on to the north of the shoulder of Beit Hogla, and the boundary ends at the northern bay of the Salt Sea, at the south end of the Jordan. This is the southern border. The Jordan forms its boundary on the eastern side. This is the inheritance of the people of Benjamin, according to all their clans, boundary by boundary, all around. Now the cities of the tribe of the people of Benjamin, according to their clans, were Jericho, Beit Hogla, Emekiziz, Beit Arabah, Zemariam, Bethel, Avim, Para, Ophrah, Kephar, Amoni, Ophni, Geba, twelve cities with their villages, Gibeon, Ramah, Be'arot, Mizpah, Kephirah, Moza, Rechem, Irpeel, Taralah, Zela, Ha'elef, Yebus, that is Jerusalem, 
Gibeah and Kiriath Jaram, 14 cities with their villages. This is the inheritance of the people of Benjamin, according to his clans. The second lot came out for, for Simeon, for the tribe of the people of Simeon, according to their clans, and their inheritance was in the midst of the inheritance of the people of Judah. And they had for their inheritance Beersheba, Sheba, Molada, Hazar Shuol, Bala, Ezem, Eltulad, Bethul, Horma, Ziklag, Beit Markaboth, Hazar Susa, Beit Labaoth, and Sharuchan, thirteen cities with their villages, Ain, Rimon, Ether, and Ashan, four cities with their villages, together with all the villages around these cities, as far as Baalat Be'er, Ramah of the Negev. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the people of Simeon, according to their clans. The inheritance of the people of Simeon formed part of the territory of the people of Judah, because the portion of the people of Judah was too large for them. The people of Simeon obtained an inheritance in the midst of their inheritance. The third lot came up for the people of Zebulun, according to their clans, and the territory of their inheritance reached as far as Sarid. Then their boundary goes up westward and on to Marael and touches Dabesheth, the, then the brook that is east of Yokneam. From Sarid it goes in the other direction eastward toward the sunrise to the boundary of Kisloth Tabor. From there it goes to Dabarath, then up to Yafia. From there it passes along on the east toward the sunrise to Gath Hefer, to Ethkazin, and going on to Rimon, it bends toward Ne'ah. Then on the north the boundary turns about to Hanathon, and it ends at the valley of Iftael. And Katath, Nahal, Nahalal, Shimron, Idalah, and Beit Lachem, twelve cities with their villages. This is the inheritance of the people of Zebulun, according to their clans, these cities with their villages. The fourth lot came out for Issachar, for the people of Issachar, according to their clans. Their territory included Jezreel, Kesuloth, Shunem, Hafarayim, Shion, Anaharath, Rabith, Kishion, Ebez, Remet, Enganim, Enchada, Beit Pazez. The boundary also touches Tabor, Shahazumah, and Beit Shemesh, and its boundary ends the Jordan, 16 cities with their villages. This is the inheritance of the tribe of the people of Issachar, according to their clans, the cities with their villages. The fifth lot came out for the tribe of the people of Asher, according to their clans. Their territory included Helkath, Hali, Beten, Aksaf, Alamelech, Ahmad, and Mishal. On the west, it touches Carmel and Shihor Libnath. Then it turns eastward, it goes to Beit Dagon, it touches Zebulun and the valley of Iftahel, northward to Beit Emek and Ne'iel. Then it continues in the north to Kabul, Ebron, Rehob, Hamon, Kana, as far as Sidon the Great. Then the boundary turns to, to Ramah, reaching to the fortified city of Tyre. Then the boundary turns to Hosab and ends at the sea. Mahalab, Akzib, Uma, Afek, and Rehob, 22 cities with their villages. This is the inheritance of the tribe of the people of Asher, according to their clans, these cities with their villages. The sixth lot came out for the people of Naphtali, for the people of Naphtali, according to their clans. And their boundary ran from Helef, from the oak in Za'anai, Za'ananim and Adami Nekeb and Yabneel as far as Lakum and it ended at the Jordan. Then the boundary turns westward to Asnoth Tabor and goes from there to Hukok, touching Zebulun at the south and Asher on the west and Judah on the east at the Jordan. The fortified cities are Zidim, Zer, Hamath, Rakath, Kinareth, Adama, Ramah, Hazor, Kedesh, Edre, Enhazor, Iron, Migdal El, Horem, Beit Anath, and Beit Shemesh, 19 cities with their villages. This is the inheritance of the tribe of the people of Naphtali, according to their clans, the cities with their villages. 
The seventh lot came out for the tribe of the people of Dan, according to their clans. And the territory of its inheritance included Zorah, Eshtaol, Irshemesh, Sha'alabim, Aijalon, Ifla, Elon, Timna, Ekron, Eltekeb, Gibbethon, Baalath, Yehud, Beneberak, Gathrimon, and Meyarkon and Rakon with the territory over against Joppa. When the territory of the people of Dan was lost to them, the people of Dan went up and fought against Leshem, and after capturing it and striking it with the sword, they took possession of it and settled in it, calling Leshem Dan after the name of Dan, their ancestor. This is the inheritance of the tribe of the people of Dan, according to their clans, these cities with their villages. When they had finished distributing the several territories of the land as inheritances, the people of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua the son of Nun. By command of the Lord, they gave him the city that he asked, Timnath-serah, in the hill country of Ephraim. And he rebuilt the city and settled in it. These are the inheritances that Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel distributed by Lot at Shiloh before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So they finished dividing the land. This is the word of the Lord. So a couple of weeks ago we, we looked at the inheritance of, of Judah and we, we saw that Judah received a huge inheritance, so now it's not entirely surprising that, well, actually, let's put Simeon right in the middle of it. And, and we'll see some of the reasons why shortly. But then last week we looked at the inheritance of Joseph. But tonight I wanted to drop back and just look at some of the context for this. Uh, we've seen how Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh had their inheritance on the east side of the Jordan. Uh, Judah and Joseph have received sort of the prime real estate on the west side. But consider what their, fa- their father, Jacob, had said about them, what the Lord had said through Jacob. So actually, turn back to Genesis chapter 49, because... Jacob had said a few things about his sons when he, before he died in his final blessing of his sons. And it's just interesting to see connections. The, the question always arises, sort of, did, did they have a copy of this handy? I mean, we, we don't know. I mean, I mean we, we, there's nothing in Joshua that indicates that they had read this. On the other hand, Jacob had said it, so was this, was this sort of running through the family lore and people would remember at least parts? It's a good question as to where was the copy of this at the time. So we, we oftentimes assume that they would know, but it's just... So listen to what J- Jacob had said about his sons. In Genesis 49, he says, Assemble, in verse 2, Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Reuben had slept with his father's concubine in Genesis 35. And so Reuben, Reuben's inheritance will not be that of the firstborn. Reuben has been disinherited from at least the... Because the, in the traditional inheritance of the firstborn, the firstborn would receive a double portion. And if you know, we've already heard that Joseph receives the double portion with Ephraim and Manasseh. So that's why, that's why when you think about the division of the land... Are there going to be 12 parts? No, there are 13. 
because the firstborn receives a double portion. So there are 13 parts for the 12 tribes, which we'll, we'll see more of when we get to the, the, our, our main text. But then also you look at Simeon and Levi in verses 5 and 7, that uh, Jacob says that, that because of their anger, because that because Simeon and Levi had slaughtered the, the Hivite prince Shechem and his, his whole town after Shechem had raped their sister, Jacob now says, Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. And so Simeon is given a portion within the, in the boundaries of Judah. He, so he's sort of scattered inside of Judah, as it were. Levi will be scattered among all the tribes. And so the position of honor falls to Judah in Jacob's blessing. Judah, who had offered his life for the life of his brother Benjamin. And Jacob declares that he will be praised by his brothers. Your, your father's son shall bow down before you, verse 8. There's a way in which Jacob's already hinting at a kingly role for Judah. Of Zebulun, Jacob had said that he would dwell by the sea, and of all the sons of Israel, only Asher lived closer to Sidon. Only Asher lived closer to the sea. Issachar receives the mountains of Tabor and Morah. The, the valley of Jezreel is the heart of his territory. But this is a, a region where the Canaanites were hard to drive out. And, well, Jacob had foretold that Issachar would be put to forced labor. Dan bordered on the land of the Philistines. Uh, his father had said that Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backward. Does it sound odd to you to hear Jacob calling his son a viper? <laughs> um, but calling your son a serpent may seem odd, and yet uh, Jesus himself will speak of being wise as serpents. Uh, the, the snake image in the scriptures is actually more complicated than just, oh, it's, just, it's, just, it's a picture of the devil. Actually, there's a, the wise as serpents image is uh, deeply rooted in, in the ancient world. So, um, but the image here of, of, of Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path, it's, it's the image as being of a, of a sneak attack that topples the enemy, which actually is what Dan will do when taking the northern, its northern inheritance. After they fail to take their western inheritance, they'll, they'll move north. And Gad was warned that he would be raided, and sitting on the eastern border of Israel, indeed he was, but Jacob says that he shall raid at their heels. He'll give as good as he takes. Asher's rich food would be produced in the plains near Tyre, so it's not surprising that he shall yield royal delicacies, verse 20. Naphtali's inheritance in the hills of the north would be full of deer, as the deer pants for streams of water we sang this morning. Part of the reason why that song came to mind for the morning service was I was like, ah, in the evening I'm preaching on that part of the inheritance. And I just thought, Right, that northern, that, that northern uh, land of north of, the, of Galilee. Uh, Joseph's blessing is perhaps the one most reminiscent of the blessing that Jacob himself had received from his father Isaac. And indeed, Joseph receives the double portion, the, the two allotments, one for Ephraim and one for Manasseh, almost two for Manasseh when you look at the map. And then Benjamin is honored with a spot between Joseph and Judah in the, in the inheritance. But Jacob calls him a ravenous wolf in the morning devouring the prey and at evening dividing the spoil. 
there's, there are these curious statements that Jacob had made about his sons. And when you read these blessings, you're sort of like, hmm, what? There's, there's much, much of it, much of it is somewhat impenetrable for us as we look at and go, what was he thinking? As, as is so often the case, we're not told what he was thinking. We're just told what he said. <laughs> but when you look at, there's all these connections with, as then later in history, as now Joshua is dividing the inheritance, there's all of these echoes from what Jacob had said centuries before. Now, as we look back to our, our text in, in Joshua 18, uh, Joshua 18 is the, is, is, is the midpoint of the division of the inheritance. Uh, it's, you know, seven tribes have already received their inheritance, and there are seven more to go. Yes, you heard me right. Seven tribes have already received their inheritance, and there are seven tribes to go. And you're like, wait a second, there's only 12 tribes. <laughs> right? But there are 14 inheritances. That we, well, so think about the previous chapters. You've, we've already seen that, that there was the, the inheritances that Moses gave on the east side, Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh. That's three. And then we also heard about Judah, Ephraim, the other half of Manasseh, that makes six, and regular references to Levi's portion, that's seven. So we've heard about seven already, and then we'll hear tonight about seven more. So there are 14 inheritances <laughs> that, uh, that God is sort of giving. Because Joseph gets a double portion, so there's in one sense, you could say there's 13 inheritances. Except, well, Levi doesn't get a full portion. But Levi's portion is the sacrifices, chapter 13, verse 14. Or the Lord himself, chapter 13, verse 33. Or the Levitical cities with their pasture lands, chapter 14, verse 4. So Levi's inheritance, so there's, you might say there's the, there's the 12 inheritances of land, although and then add Levi's 13. But then, of course, Manasseh gets two, one on each side of the Jordan. So that makes 14. Now, also, it's just, it's, it's just it's something to keep in mind throughout Israel's history because almost always when, God, when, when the scriptures lay out the 12 tribes, there's almost always 12 names given. But there are 14 possible names that you could give uh, because there are the 12 sons of Jacob, including Joseph, but then you have to add Ephraim and Manasseh, and you can use any, well, not quite any combination of those 14, but you're usually going to have 12. There's, there's nine of them that are almost always there, and then you'll get some combination of Joseph, Ephraim, Manasseh, Simeon, and Levi. Uh, but <laughs> there's, which names get used oftentimes tells you something. And also, Part of what this should be telling us is that, and actually our, our, our text tonight is going re, to really drive this home. Israel is a, it, it's, 
If, if you think of Israel in terms of, ah, there were the 12 tribes that were uh, the, the sort of these, these ethnic, co- coherent ethnic groups that sort of each had their, each, each tribal group had its own sort of land. I mean, and we get the, we have these, we have these nice maps that tell us where all the, they were. Be careful. We're going to hear tonight that these seven tribes hadn't yet gone to take possession of their inheritance. And then tonight we're going to hear that the the land is apportioned to them. But where does it actually say that they went and took possession of it? Well, in the book of Judges it'll say that they tried and largely failed, at least partly failed. They didn't really, they they took portions of it here and there's kind of... So when did, when did the history of Israel actually look like this? You're not going to find anywhere in the entire Bible where it says that the tribes actually succeeded at taking their inheritances the way God had said they should. And if the Bible doesn't say that it happened, we shouldn't say that it happened either. Because this is where God's people have been rather bad at doing what God calls us to do for an awfully long time. And that's something, I, in a sense, we need to hear this because, like I said at the beginning of the series on Joshua, this is the best generation that Old Testament Israel ever produced. This is the most faithful generation ever And now we're realizing that even they didn't really do all that well. Now, this is, this is, you might say, okay, how, is that encouraging? (laughs) Or is it, it's it's sort of like, hey, you know, we're we're an awful lot like them. It's that, well, yeah, oh, thanks, I think. (laughs) But this is where we have to keep remembering it's, God's faithfulness that saves us. It's Joshua. Joshua is the one who causes Israel to inherit. Jesus is the one who causes us to inherit. It's not because we're so good and faithful that we inherit eternal life. It's because our Lord Jesus, the great Joshua, has brought salvation to his people. So as we start in chapter 18, we're already seeing that what God is doing in this story is is there's the taking possession of the land, but that's going to be a long-term call. That there's, we might say again, just in the same way that we, as we think about our lives, what God has done in Jesus in conquering sin and death, the, this is the, you know, he, he is the one who's brought the conquest. And then we are in the process of acquiring possession of it. So, but here we are at the middle of our story. Seven, seven tribes have received their inheritance. Seven more are to come. And at the middle of the story, Israel gathers at the tent of meeting in Shiloh. This is the first reference to Shiloh in the Bible. Uh, Shiloh is in the hill country of Ephraim. It's in between Bethel and Shechem. And, and we're not told why they chose this place. Uh, but in terms of the geography of Israel, Shiloh is a great location. It's, it's right in the middle of the, the, the land, and it's also up in the hill country. The, the Gilgal, where they've been, is down by the Jordan River. That's not a very secure location. It's really easy for enemies to attack at the Jordan River. But you go up into the hill country of Ephraim, that's a, that's a bit harder to get to. So Shiloh is a much more defensible location. 
and um, it's it's also very essentially located, easy to get to from all the places where Israel has already taken possession. But in verse 2 we hear that there were still seven tribes who had not yet received their inheritance. We heard last time that the, the borders of Ephraim and Manasseh were given in reference to some of the other tribes. So it's, it's, it's also worth pointing out that the, the, the boundaries of the tribal inheritances were set here in the survey. In other words, what's happened is Ephraim, up until this point, okay, Ephraim and Manasseh were like, hey, we're going to go take possession, and so they went. Judah's like, we're going to go take possession, and so they went. The other tribes, they're kind of hanging around the Jordan River going, eh, we're not sure we're ready to do this yet. Now, if you think about it, there's whole years, there's perhaps a decade of discussion and interaction between, between the tribes and between Joshua and each other that aren't reported here. All we get is this one conversation. So it's one of those moments where, again, I, I'm like, wow, you could reconstruct the story in a dozen different ways and they'd all sound plausible because we don't, we don't know the details. But what we are told is that seven of the tribes have put off taking possession. Judah and Joseph have been diligent. The tribes of, 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 of Joshua, namely Ephraim, and Caleb, Judah, have taken the lead in taking possession of their inheritance. The, the, the united army had gone around the land, taken out all the big armies that might oppose them, and now it's like, okay, each tribe needs to go up and take possession, but the longer you wait, well, the longer you wait, the more time the Canaanites have to regroup. You're gonna, it's going to be harder. I mean, if you, if you do it right away, then they're disrupted. You could come in. But if you wait, they'll be back. And so now Joshua says, how long will you put off taking possession of the land? Now, as I was reflecting on this, I mean, do you ever actually feel like the other seven tribes? You're watching other people going in and doing the things. And you're just sitting there. Joshua now turns to you and says, How long will you put off going in to take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you? As human beings, we are called to be fruitful and multiply. This is what God tells us in Genesis 1. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And I think too often we've heard and too often we've said, Ah, do what you love. Follow your passion. I mean, if everybody followed their passions, there'd be lots of musicians and artists, inventors and athletes. Uh, There'd be no food. Uh, Maybe a few people want to grow food for a living, but but that's that's probably a good thing that there'd be no food because there'd also be no plumbers to clean the drains. So um, you're not called to do what you love. You're called to fill the earth and subdue it. You're called to use your God-given abilities to love and serve those around you. So you look at, look at sort of, yes, sure, look at your aptitudes, what sorts of things that you're, you're capable of doing, but then use those to love God and love your neighbor. Some of you should be engineers. Some of you should go into the trades. 
Some should teach. Others should care for the, the sick or the elderly. We need counselors, lawyers, social workers, plumbers. We need people in every walk of life. It's part of what it means to take possession of your inheritance from a creational standpoint. But in Christ, it gets even better. Because what Levi is doing here symbolized for Israel what all of us have received in Jesus. He says in verse 7, The Levites have no portion among you, for the priesthood of the Lord is their heritage. We'd already seen in, in chapters 13 and 14 that the Lord himself is the portion of Levi. Now this is the fourth description of the inheritance of Levi. Four times in these chapters that describe the rest of Israel's inheritance, four times Levi is singled out and they're reminded, remember, Levi doesn't have an inheritance among you because the Lord himself is their portion, the, inher- the, the offerings of the Lord is their portion, the, 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 the Levitical cities are their portion, and now the priesthood of the Lord is their heritage. Paul tells us in Romans 4 that the promise to Abraham was that he would inherit the whole earth. And there's a way in which this is what Jesus has received. And yes, our earthly bodily endeavors continue to fulfill the creation mandate, but they also point us forward to the new creation. It's why the Levites keep showing up over and over again throughout this whole portion, that as they're talking about what is Israel's calling to take possession of the land, they're always being reminded back towards the Levites, back towards worship, back towards God himself as their portion, as God had said to Abraham, I am your very great reward. God himself is the inheritance of his people. And that's what the Levites were in their midst to remind them of. This is where the story is going. And so that's also why here in the middle of our text, Israel is setting up the tent of meeting at Shiloh. Worship was where we started at the Passover when they first crossed the the Jordan River. And not surprisingly, worship is here right in the middle. And of course, worship will be at the end of the book of Joshua. And so as you go about your creational labors, as you go about the, the work of your six days of the week, remember that for you as for Joshua, worship remains at the center. Now, the thing is, when we forget this, when I forget this, when I get bogged down, that's not good for me. I mean, you might think, well, but you're a pastor. Worship is the center of what you do. Well, sure. But I can turn preaching and teaching into the, the thing that I do, and I wind up leaving out the center of everything, namely worshiping the triune God. So in the same way that Joshua keeps bringing Israel back to worship, So I would challenge you to keep returning to the Lord. And yes, we do this every Lord's Day, Sunday morning, Sunday evening. But if you're like me, one day a week isn't going to do it. You need to be alone before God. You need to be with your household before God. If you live by yourself, make sure that you have times during the week where you are connected with others. Well... Joshua then sends out these surveyors. I mean, by the way, we need good surveyors. I mean, if you don't have good surveyors, then (laughs) 
Yes, Elijah knows exactly. We need good surveyors. Um, If you're going to divide the land well, you need to have a good team of surveyors that can draw maps, divide, you know, describe the boundaries, and divide the land into roughly equal parts. And I say roughly equal. I mean, you look at the map and you're like, they don't look like they're exact, exactly the same. All right, different tribes are different sizes. So you have different numbers of people. You also have uh, different types of land. If you've got really good farmland, well, that'll feed a lot of people. If you've got the hill country, eh, that's not going to feed a lot of people. So you need a lot more hill country. So that's why the, 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 the hillier and drier the terrain, the larger the, the inheritance tends to be. And then we have the description of these, of, of these inheritances. The first lot fell to Benjamin. It's a, a portion of land in between Ephraim and Judah. And you'll note that in verse 28, it says that Jerusalem is part of the tribe of Benjamin. And you might be surprised to see read that. You're, Wait, I thought it was part of Judah. Well, it's, it's right on the border. But the reason why it's always associated with Judah is because David was the one who finally captured it and took it away from the Jebusites and made it his capital. So the, the inheritance as laid out by Joshua had Benjamin as, as uh, Jerusalem as part of Benjamin. And over time, these, these, these boundaries didn't stay exactly, at, you know, these are, they, there's a lot of shifting, and actually we'll see some of it tonight, even, even in Joshua's own day, there was some change, and some of the changes happened later. Uh, one of those changes is described in our text. Simeon is sort of absorbed into Judah. Our text says it bluntly. The portion of the people of Judah was too large for them. So, and you can sort of see what happened from what's, what we've been told. Judah, in their enthusiasm to take possession of the inheritance, they, they, take a, they take this first portion, and it's just too big a portion. They don't have the people for it. And so Simeon uh, winds up going with them and obtaining an inheritance in their midst, which fulfilled what their father Jacob had said, that Simeon would be scattered among his brothers. Incidentally, the the fates of Simeon and Levi show that you're not doomed by your parents' mistakes. Simeon and Levi commit the same crime. They slaughtered the men of Shechem just because the prince of Shechem raped their sister. They were right to to defend their sister. They just went a little overboard in slaughtering all the men of the town. It's a classic case of why I say that vengeance is not bad. It's just we are very bad at taking vengeance. It's like, no, you don't kill the whole town because their prince raped your sister. And so Jacob had said that both Simeon and Levi would be scattered among their brothers. But the particular way it happens is quite different. And that has nothing to do with what Simeon and Levi themselves were like. I mean, from all we know of Levi, if you were looking for... Which one of Jacob's sons would make the best priest? You probably wouldn't pick Levi. But Levi's descendants were men like Moses, Aaron, and then, of course, Aaron's son, Phinehas, and now his son, Eleazar. God confirms the, or other way around, Eleazar and Phinehas. God confirms this, his hereditary priesthood with Levi, and Levi gets scattered among his brothers in order to symbolize something very different than their ancestor was like. And now, the tribe of Simeon doesn't end all that badly. I mean, they wind up subsumed into the tribe of Judah. There, there are worse fates. It's worth noting, there's not much about Simeon left in the Old Testament. I mean, 
Judges chapter 1 refers to the same event described in Joshua. But then, besides a couple of generic references in the book of Chronicles, Simeon never appears again. It appears they simply just got intermarried with Judah and lost any sort of distinctive tribal role. So Simeon just sort of gets melded into Judah. Now, in, in the north... In the north, Ephraim will take that role. Um, but there's also a lot more complexity up there. You know, Zebulun has a small inheritance of 12 cities just north of Issachar. Issachar has 16 cities centered along the primary trade route. Uh, there are some key valleys which would be hard to defend. Issachar is going to have his work cut out for him taking possession of that land. Asher gets the coastal plain north of Mount Carmel all the way to Tyre and Sidon. <laughs> Yeah, Asher never did actually take possession of his inheritance. Hiram Hiram will be the king of Tyre a few generations later, who makes an alliance with King David. But the Phoenicians remain the dominant power along the northern coast. These northern tribes never really did take possession of their inheritances. Naphtali receives 19 fortified cities in the north beyond the Sea of Galilee, it appears that they went up there, and then they see they may, you know, there, there seems to be have been um, some presence there. But again, there's not a whole lot of sort of taking possession of their inheritance. Dan is an interesting case study. It re- receives a portion of land that sounded like it belonged to Ephraim in the previous section, and it looks like Ephraim had claimed it in the first allotment. But like when Simeon gives, gets an inheritance in the midst of Judah, so also when the seven portions are divided, a chunk of Ephraim is allotted to Dan. Dan's original territory is in the west. It's what will, is in the process of becoming Philistine territory in the, in the days of Joshua. When you read the book of Judges, uh, the story of Samson is from the tribe of Dan, and the story of Samson takes place entirely in that Philistine area. Actually, some of the cities whose names we heard appear lots in the story of Samson. Timnah, Ekron, Zorah, Eshtol. These, this, is, this is the world in which Samson lived. But after the death of Samson, it became clear to the people of Dan, they can't compete with the Philistines. It's, and so the story is told in Judges 17 and 18 of how the people of Dan migrated to the far north where they found a quiet valley they could possess. Which we're told... That, that story is referred to here in Joshua 19. It's worth thinking about that. The people of Dan don't take possession of the land that God promised them. And as the story of in Judges puts it, they do what's right in their own eyes and carve out a portion for themselves. And if you look at the map, it's, they carve out a portion of what should be Naphtali and Manasseh and claim it for Dan. Now, what do you think about that? Should they be doing this? I mean, this isn't the land that God promised them. We have to be a little careful. Our, our authors, the author of Joshua doesn't seem to ha- doesn't give us an opinion on this. Our, our tendency is to think, no, you should stay. This is the land God gave you. And, I mean, there's a lot to be said for that. <laughs> Joshua opened chapter 18 by saying, how long will you sit on your duff? Take possession of your inheritance. But let's 
be careful not to go beyond what God has said. I mean, sure, the, the division of the land is overseen by God. Joshua and Eleazar the priest are dividing the land in the way that God commanded. The result is plainly the providence of God. But when Dan realizes they can't hold their inheritance against the Philistines, even the mighty Samson can't protect them forever, what should they do? Now, the story in in, in Judges 17 and 18 clearly shows Dan is not a reliable guide to action. (laughs) If you read Judges 17 and 18, if you're like me, you come away from that story going, oh, I don't even understand what to make. Uh, Preaching from Judges 17 and 18 is one of the most challenging passages because it's sort of like, whoa, this is weird. But... What you get clearly from this is that in the midst of all the failings and foibles of his people, God continues to work and to do for our salvation. God uses all 12 tribes to accomplish his purposes. So, on the, so we look at this, okay, so God, God uses it all. You think about, you can easily think back to decisions you've made in your life that have not, were, 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 let's put it bluntly, sinful decisions, wrong decisions, shouldn't have done that decisions. So does that mean it's too late for you? This is part of what Joshua and Judges are telling us with respect to Dan, with respect to us. Because it's never going to be too late. Now, on the other hand, it should be very clear that Joshua is holding up Judah and Joseph and Levi as, as very, having very important roles to play because of the faithfulness of a Caleb, a Joshua, a Moses. When I look at my life, I can clearly see how much more I could have done if I had used my time more wisely. You know, the seven tribes that sat twiddling their thumbs at the Jordan River undoubtedly would have accomplished much better things if they had done what they were called to do when they were called to do it. By waiting, they've allowed the Canaanites to regroup. And so now the job will be more difficult. Because notice, there's no reference in any of these descriptions of of the inheritance. There's no mention of the failure to drive out the Canaanites because they haven't even tried yet. These are theoretical distributions the remnant of the Canaanites still dwells there. If you refrain from doing what God calls you to do, it's not that it will be too late. It just means it will be more difficult when you get around to it. But that's where God still calls you to do what he's calling you to do. It's, I mean, to a certain extent, it's a matter of, okay, when you, when, when, as you're facing whatever situation you're facing, it's that now is the time to do what God's calling you to do. Now is the time to get off your duff. I mean, and I'll just say, boy, if if ever I preached a sermon that I needed to hear, it's tonight's sermon. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, right, yes, Lord, okay. Um, because this is what God is calling us to do as His people. He says, this is. What I've given you to do is what you are called to do. 
And so Joshua's like, get to it now. And, and then, and finally, when they've distributed the territories and said, okay, here's the, all the inheritances, they give an inheritance to Joshua himself. And since he was from Ephraim, they give him a, a city in the hill country of Ephraim. And so we see Joshua as our, as our faithful covenant mediator. Moses. Moses had been the man of the law. He was the mediator of the law. And he dies in the wilderness because the law cannot bring you into the land. But Joshua is the one who goes before his people and causes them to inherit. And so he himself receives a portion of the inheritance because he has caused Israel to inherit. And back in chapter 14, verse 1, we had, we had heard that Joshua and Eleazar the priest were the ones apportioning the land. Now in chapter 19, verse 51, we have the conclusion of the matter. The western inheritance has been concluded. Israel has divided the land in the manner prescribed by God. Our inheritance is divided by the faithful covenant mediator Joshua and the priest Eleazar. And of course, in our Lord Jesus, we have one who is both Joshua and the Eleazar. He is both the David and the Aaron. He is the one who brings about our inheritance. He has entered his rest, and in him we have obtained an inheritance but we have not yet acquired possession of it. Uh, This is the way Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 1, when Paul, speaking of, of what Jesus has done, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of, of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Jesus is the great Joshua who has, who has caused us to inherit but yet we are still going to acquire possession. We have not yet taken possession of the inheritance. And that's what God is doing in us by his spirit. As we are calling, brothers and sisters, our calling is to take, you might say, take possession of the land, take possession of the inheritance, to walk faithfully before him, taking hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of us. So let us pray. Oh, Lord, have mercy on us. Help us, because we are too quick and too... We quickly jump to our own, our own selfish plans, and, and we too easily are like the seven tribes sitting by the Jordan River, twiddling our thumbs and not getting around to doing the things that you have called us to do. So help us, Lord, to be diligent in the work that you have given us, whether that work may be as a student in our studies or as, as, as for myself, as a pastor, for, for 
each of us in our several callings. Help us, Lord, to, to be diligent in the work that you've given us, to set, to set our hearts and our minds upon, upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, trusting that the one who has, who has come into his inheritance will continue to bring us into taking possession of that inheritance which you have given us in him. Help us, Lord, because we're weak, we're frail, we are too, too quick to, to slip into our old habits and patterns. So help us, Lord, to help us to repent and to turn to you and to trust you and to, to do that which you have called us to do, that we might be diligent and faithful in the work that you've given us. Help us, Lord, to, to do this in our, in our, in our community, in, the, in the, the relationships that we have with one another, that we might encourage one another as long as it is called today, that we might, that we might remember your great love and your mercy to us, and that we might show that same love and mercy to those around us, that we might bear witness to the faithfulness of Jesus, that they might see in us and hear from us the, the glorious goodness of, of, of your Son. Lord, have mercy. Help us, and, uh, and as we come now to this, your table, we pray that you, would, that you would strengthen and nourish us with the body and blood of your dear Son, that, as, that, you, would, that you would renew us, that you would help us, that in our, in our, in our several callings, in, the, in our lives as husbands and wives, as parents and children, as, as, as roommates and friends and co- colleagues and bosses and employees, in, in each relation that we have, help us to love the way that you have loved us, that we might, that we might show forth the love of Christ. And, and use, use us in, in bearing witness to Jesus that, that those around us might, might see in us and hear from us the glorious gospel of our Savior, that, that, they, might, that they might know Jesus Christ, that we might give an answer for the hope that is in us, that we might show forth our love for you and that those around us would, would say, see, see how they love one another. The Father must have sent the Son because the Church of Jesus Christ lives as that faithful witness. Lord, help us. And help our sister churches around us. Help all those who are, who are called by your name to, to live this way before the watching world. And Lord, have mercy on the world. Have mercy upon all those who are walking in darkness, both in this community and, and, and around the globe. Lord, have, have mercy on our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. And, and graciously sustain them and help them to, to show forth the, 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 the love of Christ even in the midst of their own suffering and, and affliction. Lord, give wisdom to the rulers of the nations and help them to, to do that which is right and pleasing in your sight, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ might be exalted, that his kingdom might be advanced, that, that we might be to the praise of your glory. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.